0: This is a super sized episode. Who is it ever? I'm telling you, you you get you get a, a tall stack of pancake on this one. Yes, you do. And by the way, I, I my only regret is
1: that the listeners didn't get the homophilia after show after yeah. we stopped recording this, and then mm-hmm. Sam and and uh, us, you know, indulged in the best dish
0: session and yeah. gossip session um i've ever
1: experienced you're gonna get
0: yeah listener you're gonna get some blind items in uh, in the next 90 minutes um we know the answers but of course we are sworn to secrecy so um but it's good uh sam pancake is wise he is hilarious he looks fucking fabulous most
1: importantly ageless aging backwards
0: truly ageless um, and he has got as you probably know a lot to say about a lot of stuff we really get into some serious issues and this one i just want to i just want to get in yeah let's jump right in with our do,
1: sam pancake
0: oh he's having a he's having a uh, an iced coffee <laughs> He's, he's got a fancy microphone. There are moody black and white photos behind him, Matt. He is, he is an he actor. Is, he's a comic. He is the host of the Monday Afternoon Movie Podcast.
1: He's a living legend. He's a, a fully aglow. I've never seen a more gorgeous Zoom setup than what he is working with. And also, by the way, we've been doing this for three years, and this is another person who should have been month one. Yeah. Thank you and for
2: finally acknowledging that.
1: It's yep. highly <laughs> overdue. <laughs> Only because petitions. of my
0: age. <laughs>
1: Stop that.
0: <laughs> Friends, it's Sam Pancake.
1: At long last, thank
0: Boys? you for
2: being here. Thank you for having me. Well matt when you you started something on remember early and you i was your first person is the thing yes. it's like the the first like the beta version kind of so i it, think yeah, that's it was, how uh,
1: yes and so i think it, it felt as if we'd already have you had you but then when we started this properly uh we i don't know didn't get our shit together i don't, I don't, I don't know what to say
2: it's yeah. fine. I accept your apology as the regal dame of the American theater that I am. Gracious. By American theater, I mean the me- the basement of a Mexican restaurant
1: in Silver Lake. Yeah. Which, is, is it going to still be with us? What is the status of Casita del Campo?
2: The status, I understand it so far, is we did a big fundraiser at the beginning of the pandemic, and they made all the money that they, they – Needed a time to get by for a while. I know the restaurant's still going, you know, they're still doing takeout and they had the patio going. So as far as I know, things are okay and we're fingers crossed for coming back and doing things in the fall. So that's what I know now, unless there's something. I've had to be like all of us very um, choosy about what news I take in, you know, through the. Through the places you take things in from. Um, So unless there's something out there that I haven't read that's like disastrous, I think things are okay.
0: (laughs) I hope. Yeah. Well, so as of this week in Los Angeles, outdoor dining will be back. So when this show drops, you can go and sit outside somewhere and have a meal and some drinks. And that still seems like. Not a great idea. It still
2: seems I, w- I will not be doing it. I, I'm going no. pick up my food and eat, you know, and do the things that I've been doing all along, but I am not going to go inside of a restaurant or even a patio. I haven't been to a patio in LA uh, restaurant since this all started when we could, or, you know, periodically.
1: No. Yeah. When pe- people uh, who live elsewhere ask like, what's it like? I heard you're going into lockdown again, or I heard your lockdown lifted. I'm like, I notice. truly, uh, there's no difference for me day to day in your life. life. Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. 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 I, um, I was in uh, Vancouver working for like a two and a half months in the fall. And so I I still get confused about what we were doing up there and whatnot, but you could go, we did go inside restaurants there and preferably on patios. Things were a little bit better, but then as I left mid November, they went into another lockdown. Um, And it just is, it's all confusing because I don't feel like, and they were very strict about the 14 day quarantine up there and they checked on you and some of the actors, the police would come to their door, you know, and they were very, and there were forms and an app and like a lot of situations. And then here, I don't, in California, I don't see that that there's any sort of, um, enforcement, right? Is there of anything
1: officially? Not that I've seen. no. So you no. were literally quarantined in your hotel or the the place uh, you were living Condo-y
2: right? place. Yeah, in, yes, yeah. in Vancouver for two full weeks uh, in an apartment with no. And here where I live now, I, I'm in yet another guest house situation because that's how that's my you know what I like to do and what I've managed to do somehow. Magically is I have a nice big yard and a patio and my friend in the front house, we talk six, I can have daily contact. And that was not the case in Vancouver. Like I had a little balcony that looked out over Yale Town, which is great, but it was in, in my friend who had just gone through it up there, luckily in the same building, which was also kind of magical. She was like, "You'll hit midweek two, and you're you're going to lose your mind." And I was like, "No, I won't. I'm stronger than that. I have my tools now." And then, like Wednesday week two, I was like, "I don't know who I am anymore. What is my yeah. name? Oh, yeah. The void. I'm staring into the void, and I don't like what I see." But then my therapist was like, "You have to make friends with the void," and so I did. How? How does
1: that look like? Yeah,
2: um, it looks like just choosing to not fear something. I I, I was afraid. Okay, can we jump into this? Because I'm yes. I have, I'm deeply in therapy. I just had it yesterday. It saved my life. It saves my ass every week. Um, and I have a good guy. I've had people who aren't good. But anyway, the void is like you are because I didn't usually experience a lot of loneliness. Some of that's by design. And some of it's just because I have this giant family that even though they're not around to be physically, I know they're always there for me. And I realized that later in life too. But the loneliness thing, when you feel like you're staring into the void and you're like, Oh, I'm going to fall in and be depressed and consumed by that. And this darkness that will never end. And I'll never find my way out. You. And it took me a long time of practice doing this in terms of redirecting my thoughts for years, learning how to redirect my thoughts, you redirect one ideally redirects their thoughts to like, no, this is, this is what life is. It's like when you're meditating in the space between the atoms, you go into there of like this eternal space and the void is the same thing. It's just the eternity. It's eternity. And so you're just like, have to make your peace with eternity and, and check your feelings in your gut. And you're not in danger. No one's, Part of my anxiety feels like someone's chasing me with a knife. and i and every and I'm getting better at it, and I finally, learned how to say to myself no one is chasing you with a knife no one's hiding behind that tree gonna jump out call you a faggot and punch you in the face and that's i've never been punched in the face but i'm definitely being called faggot a lot and i knew i was gay super young like four. i realized oh shit i want burt Re- i didn't want to i want to be on top of burt reynolds i didn't really know what it meant like you know where i want to be on jethro and the Beverly Hillbillies or whatever so i always was it's like <laughs> yes, right. Um, and the $6 million man, obviously,
0: Steve Austin. Lee obviously, major. that goes without saying.
2: Oh, hi. Um, but but so my, all my, what I'm saying is all I learned in therapy, all of my crap and my shit and my shame and my wounds are from knowing I was gay, super young, being terrified, never speaking a word of my truth until I was like 21. And that'll do a real number on you. And I grew up in rural, very um, macho, homophobic, misogynist, rural West Virginia. In a town with, in a county with one stoplight, you know, so that was, I was not made for those, those times, <laughs> uh, so to speak. But
0: um, I survived, so that's the, that's, yeah. there's that. Well, I mean, it, it, dive right in, <laughs> why don't you Sam Pancake, I'm to listening. the theme of this show. <laughs> right. I mean, mm-hmm. perfect. So yeah, okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about four-year-old Sam Pancake.
2: yeah. Um, I remember the moment when I, um, I was, my father was a minister. Uh, we mm-hmm. were at one of these big Southern luncheons at, at, at the Tully's. <laughs> I'm just going to say their names are not with us anymore, but, um, maybe I shouldn't say the name. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Well, you did. <laughs> so we were at these, cause the great thing about being the preacher's kid was like every Sunday lunch was at someone else's big old house. In Summersville, we lived in Summersville, West Virginia at the time, and we later moved to Romney, which doesn't sound like a big distinction to anyone outside of West Virginia. But within West Virginia, people are like, oh, yeah, that's different. But anyway, luncheon, you know, amazing food and cakes and pies, the adored, you know, the adored child of the minister. And there's was, was back when there was only two or three of us pancake kids instead of the eventual six, you know, and in which the fight for attention and love got real, <laughs> real, real. Um, <laughs> real ugly. Um, but I remember like going, there was, they had a teenage son and he got in trouble and he was sent to his room. And the, my, the mothers, my mother and his mother were like, why don't you go up and play with his name in the room and see what he's doing. I knocked on the door, I opened it up. And again, he was probably 15 or 16, but to four year old me, he was a man. And he was right. standing there in tidy, whitey underwear, very muscular. I still have the image. I mean, you know, memory, as you remember your last memory, Rather than maybe the actual event, but the to me it's it was blazoned in my mind because I saw this guy, and it just was like, like the charge went through me. And, and even to my little let's my little genitals, all of it, I was just like, what the fuck? I mean oh, yeah. it felt like I realized that was kind of a curse. I do envy these people who are like, I had no idea until I kissed a boy when I was 18 or 23, or I did I always didn't realize why I'm not mocking them. It sounds I'm not using a mocking tone. I just mean like that kind of innocence of like, I I finally realized why I never was that into my girlfriend because I needed to to be with a man. It was not for me. I was like, I want a man like that right now. Like I didn't know how or where or what, but it was, I was a horn. Can we say this? Cause I'm sure it's true. I was a horny kid. I don't even know why that my siblings didn't have that experience. We've talked about it. I have a, a, a sibling who's transitioning now has transitioned. I have a sibling who's lesbian and then I have two straight brothers and a straight sister. And we, we talk fairly openly about these things to a degree, Thank God, because we're all on the same page politically, despite other problems. Thank the Thank God, God, Jesus, yeah. Jesus, yeah, Lord that's of that's my that's father. Um, yeah. And my mother, too. And my father, we let my father die in 2018, two years ago, almost to the day. i um, still believing that Obama was president in his semi dimension, in his demented state, because we knew that he would would immediately croak if he heard that Donald Trump was president. Anyway, it's oh, a different story. So my father was a weird mix of like Southern homophobic Presbyterian minister. And he had a lot of different problems and personalities too. And then also fervent Hillary loving Democrat man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I knew really young and that I carried that burden with me. And then I slowly, like, I realized, thank God I had my, two of my mother's brothers were gay. They both died. One of them died from AIDS in 1990. My like super cool uncle Mike, who I was so looking forward to eventually being friends with. Cause he was the uncle when I, when I was little, who brought me the making of the wizard of Oz book. And Shit. and a Tallulah Bankhead t-shirt. I do a one-man show about this, and I, like, literally still have the Tallulah Bankhead t-shirt, And w- which I tried to wear around the house. And my mother was like, Sam, you know what they say about Tallulah Bankhead. And I was like, no, what, Mama? This is probably 76 or 7. <laughs> I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. And my mother said, some people say she's um, – she was a bisexual. And I, do you know what that means? And I kind of didn't, but I was like, no mama. And she was like, and I know I said, yes. I was like, yes, mama. And she's like, do you think you should be wearing that shirt around? And it crushed me. I realize now when I look back at some of the stuff my mother has said, and we don't talk about it now, we, my mother and I are fine, but we don't dig too deep in the past because she's chosen her own beliefs, her own memories rather, um, which is fine. It's I'm fine with it. Uh, But I realize now she the times when I thought she was being homophobic, sometimes she was actually opening a door for me to talk about myself. And I slammed the door shut. And you know what? I watched it again recently, the Home for the Holidays movie when (laughs) I'm all over the place. Welcome to my brain. It's okay. It's okay. It's that time in that that movie directed by Jodie Foster um, when Robert Downey Jr. character, which is one of the first times I saw myself in media. And that was in the mid nineties when I was like 30, you know, and Anne Bancroft, the mother says like, even as a boy, you never let us get too close. And it was one of those like, Oh yeah, I, that's when I learned to take responsibility for how I put the wall up, which was, which kept me safe. And it was a good idea. I should have put that wall up, but later on in life, as I gotten older, I could have been more open about my life at the same time. This is a very waspy uptight you know, Presbyterian slash Methodist. Other long story. Family who we didn't talk about feelings or anything below the waist until you know we just didn't talk that way back then. So
0: also, a child is not equipped to have those kinds of conversations. So, like no. as um, as open as an adult may want to be, there are so many layers and levels to get through. You know, Um, yes, and and a child doesn't have the self knowledge to be like, "Oh, here's a space where I can talk about this freely." It's you haven't worked it out on your own yet. Um, Yeah, I had I had a um, a priest at my high school pull me aside one day, Um, and and, you know, it it was like it was a very small high school. Our our uh, school day was super long. It was seventh to twelfth grade, so like the community all knew each other pretty well. And it was like, (laughs) tell me the town again, Dave. St. Louis. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it was, you know, everybody knew each other pretty well and it was pretty clear from a real early age that I was super duper gay. And so, um, so this, uh, this monk like pulled me aside and was like, not in an accusing way at all, but, but indicated like, I get the sense that there is something different about you that is giving you anxiety and, and wanted to open that door. Not, not in like a, I don't think he had ulterior motives, but um, but wanted to indicate that I had a safe uh, – I had an ally in him if I needed wow. to discuss these things any further. And it stressed me out so fucking bad. <laughs> yes. Um, I was like, no, I don't know what you mean. And I left and I and we never talked about it again. And it's like and, – and I even forgot about it. I had mentioned it to my best friend who was also gay. And he brought it up 20 years later and I was like, I I ran so far from that conversation. it, it I outran the memory. Wow. Like I you, blocked the shit out because I just couldn't do it. And I wish I'd taken advantage. You yeah, well, you didn't want to be seen. Like I didn't want yes. anyone to know
2: for a second that there was something different And it. And yes. I was a pretty Femi, you know, the, the youth has strong artistic, you know, uh-huh. uh, other, the other euphemisms of the, they was, they would call it my father one time. I, and also I had a cousin who, who wasn't is gay, a gay man. And he was, As things go, probably more, not that there's a scale, but like he was more, even more obviously gay than I am, you would say at the time. And I remember my father saying to my mother, um, and I won't say my cousin's name, but like, my my father was like do you think he's you know homosexual and my father going he does have a what we used to say a a bit of a daffodil turn to him and i'm like "Ooh, we yeah and i don't want the i don't want the label of a daffodil turn no um to me <laughs> like it was That's and exactly. now i'm like i'm the daffodilist. like i yeah. am delighted but the, the, this the, there were a lot of euphemisms like another one was and we were adults and my youngest sister was getting married at Mill which was the this big old house I grew up in, this family estate thing and, that we grew up in. And my father did, too, um, which we moved into only after my grandfather committed suicide there. <laughs> and then daddy moved. Really. Um, I've described my childhood and most of my life as a southern tragic Gothic farce. Um, uh, but uh, my mother, we were my sister was like, I. Uh, she, was, she and my younger sister were arguing about how my sister who was getting married would would handle the aisle situation, which you walked down through these hedges to where the wedding was going to be held under the big old walnut tree. And and my sister at the time, she's not my brother, but like at the time Catherine, my sister, was a lesbian and I was gay. And we never talked about that to my mother. But my mother, in the argument with my straight sister, said, read the aisle. Um <laughs> Since Sam and Catherine have elected not to marry, this may be the last wedding we have at Mill Meadow, and so I'm like, "Oh, oh she's wow!" How Hallmark Channel. This was in '98. This was not like 1955. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that elected not to marry, and they would. My mother would still say things like. Knowing that it was you know kind of with a tongue in cheek, but still say things like a couple living together, you know they're living
0: without benefit of clergy, you know that was another one Ooh, I remember yeah, oh man, and you hit it into you hit it completely. you don't want to be seen at that age. it is the idea of being seen or known fully is a source of
2: deep stress. horrifying horrifying, and I was already suicidal yeah. and tried to out my uh, out myself no off myself. Um, you know, more like cries for help and attention, but still there was some intent in there that I was like, I wanted out. I mean, like fifth grade, fifth grade was the worst year of my life. If one, of, if I had a superpower, starts to get it would be- shitty. Yeah, yeah. If I had a superpower, we'd go back to fifth and sixth grade and whisper in little my ear, like, you're going to be okay. You're going to make it out alive, kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And here's some money. Here's some extra money to go to the movies more often and to buy some more candy.
0: <laughs> yeah. What was fifth grade like? What were um, what, um, what, was, what was your schooling like at the time?
2: Well, it was very, there were, it was Romney grade school and fifth grade was, I had the most amazing, and we're still friends on Facebook. One good thing about Facebook, Mr. Siriani, who was my fourth grade teacher, was the cool, young, amazing, still on Facebook online today, like fighting the good liberal fight in small town. I think, well, he's in Florida now, but like amazing man who opened so many doors and windows and, and, and his wife too, who's amazing. Sorry. And then fifth grade was Mr. Winkler, who, um was awful. He was, uh, I won't get into the specifics of it because I'm afraid to offend people, but like he was, it, Here's. I'll just say this because this is the way it was at the time. I lived in West Virginia, which was close to the Mason-Dixon line, but still very much identified as the South. And all the horrible racial aspects of that aside, there was this a lot of our teachers, the new teachers started coming from Pennsylvania and they felt very different to us and we felt very different from them. And it's just so weird to think of that like, two states away culture clash but it was and i had another teacher he was eventually ousted forced to resign early for sexual assault stuff but he's the first one uh, to call me a faggot in class in civics class he was also the coach he also sexually he also harassed sexually harassed he harassed my brothers he sexually harassed my sisters He, he was awful and he got to go on for years and there was like um this at the time and no one get mad but this like these Yankees coming down here and being so rude and impolite and like the man called me a faggot in class. No one's, (laughs) no one's, no one from my hometown did none of my other teachers did that. But Mr. Winkler was one of these Pennsylvania Dutch people, his accent. We couldn't understand him again, you know, two hours away, maybe, but like, we couldn't understand what they were saying. And he was just cold and awful and, and mean. And then we got this new vice principal who was just the worst like, looked like, I'm not going to say his name, because he looked like just a southern white pig. You know what I'm saying? You know, he looked like a, yeah. a caricature from a, you know, one of those Macon County line, Jackson County Jail, 70s prison movies, you know. It just and and I got And I got a really bad pair of glasses, and I really hated wearing them in fifth grade. There was another one. And then I just got more and more sad about my life. And then there were other things going on in the family that I'm not going to get into that contributed to yeah. that. But so how did you like
0: self-soothe
2: TV, um, sure. candy? It's where a lot of sugar. Like we my mother, we were in a very strict, like there were six kids. I look back now, and my mother was like, we weren't allowed to have pop, we weren't allowed to have Pepsi and stuff. We could have Kool-Aid. So I loved just like sneaking into illicitly sneaking cookies and candy or cake that I couldn't eat. And I remember one time um and when I got sober I in the rehab I went to you had to write down all of your experiences where you felt that substances were more in control of you than you were. And I and I remember this thing which I never occurred to me as being related to substance abuse it was like you know saw this southern almost 19th century stuff. G- G- Grandmother pancake gave my mama like um uh, a cake that someone had wanted a cake walk, and it was angel food cake, and it was in the freezer. And Mama took it. She's like, and my mother who did not like her mother in law, Rosie Bell, was like, "You can't freeze well, angel of food Rosie cake." Rosie Bell, Rosie Bell, Fretwell pancake, my my grandma pancake, and she threw it. This is my fuzzy memory of it memory of it, but I remember her saying like, "You can't." My mother saying, "You can't freeze an angel food cake," and she threw the whole thing in the garbage. And later, on, I snuck and ate that entire angel food cake out of the garbage, and I was in hog oh, heaven.
0: Goodness. I would
2: have done the same. I mean, come on. Yeah. And we were in a very, which is looking back now, it was great. We, My mother was an amazing baker. She would make all these cookies and brownies and stuff. And like, no, we six of us, we were not to like jump in there and eat whatever we wanted. We could have like one a day, you know, understandably. I look back now, my mother, I'm like three meals a day for eight people for so many years. Like, how does she do it? I don't know. Anyway. Um, so I soothed with that. I soothed the TV. I escaped through movies. I escaped through like knowing that slowly putting together that my uncles were gay. They lived in Key West. And I knew there was a life outside for me in which I could thrive and have a boyfriend. And I knew if I just held my breath, you know, put my head down, didn't act too faggoty and just got out of high school there, at least go to the WVU theater department where, which I eventually ended up in and loved it. I would be okay. And I was.
0: So you had kind of a North star.
1: Yeah. Was that part of your um, sort of coping mechanism as you got older was trying to sort of butch up and blend in and become a more sort of socially acceptable version of yourself?
2: Yeah, I mean, looking back now as I through therapy and age and just loving myself and and making friends with who I am, I feel like I'm becoming more centered and I'm in my chest voice more and I'm not so half strung that that's what true that's what's truly what am I trying to say I think some people might consider that butcher but I'm really realizing now for myself that it's just me being more comfortable who I am and I thought I was butching it up back then I would try to because I was constantly told especially when I moved to LA and started auditioning in so many ways what a faggot I was and what a you know little mincing queer bait I was where I you know that's a different story but yeah i tried to i I had a girlfriend who i never even kissed in high school i just i had my little group of friends who um kind of would love i mean i knew that they would probably love me no matter what even if i did say things um i also had my best friend i'm not gonna say his name because i did one time on a podcast and it bit me in the ass he who i'm still friends with he was not the he also though he was straight like didn't like sports didn't like hunting we used to be forced to hunt together with our fathers and he was like a lot like me and we were both kind of catty and bitchy. i was kind of a here's what it is i was a mean girl i was kind of a mean girl in high school um and i got kind of bitchy and cunty and super preppy this is like 80 through 82 and i was just like eyes on you know and oh, good, you know yeah. ralph Lauren and uh you know um uh, topsiders and the whole preppy handbook thing. And so I kind of, and it was a very, you know, to be real, it was a very, you know, kind of classist society oh, yeah. in small town West Virginia. There were haves and have nots. And I was kind of did lean into being a, a little wasp bitch because
1: <laughs> sadly, because I had a lot of that in my family. But well, um, that's a source of power, you know. With, yes. Yeah. So yeah. the other sources of power aren't available to you. Like we had very sim- sort of parallel uh, experiences, I think. And, and I, I took on a similar persona because it was a way to sort of align myself with the cool girls in my class. Yes, it was a yes. different sort of entree into like the, the upper echelon of, you know, the high school cool kids.
2: Yes, exactly. And it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also worked, oh, that's not a whole other story, but, um, yeah oh then what i wanted to say was then what sucked was i was like 82 graduating high school at least going to morgantown which is two hours away and not a big city but felt like going to new york city like just and being and my parents which is another long story allowing me to major in theater which god bless them for that because they didn't have to do that um but then that's when 82 83 oh aids and i was like oh fuck you know so That paralleled. I mean, my therapist pointed this out recently. It's like from 18 and 1982, someone's dog has a lot to say about me. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Um, uh, 1982 at 18 through, you know, whenever... The late 90s when the cocktails start kicking in. Like, so me from 18 to 36, the prime, you know, sexy years for anyone, any human being was all like AIDS, 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 and HIV and all that stuff. And so that also fucked me up again. Where like, I can go out and be free and have sex and boyfriends and like terrified, you know? Because yeah. it was, as y'all know, it was scary times, especially in the 80s and early 90s.
0: Terrifying, terrifying, and like, and laden with shame.
2: Yes and that's you know what and mean? I mean I'm uh, still unwinding that shame <laughs> I'm still unwinding that shame in terms of like all oh the how that th- I, I did I worked recently again with Scott um Scott Thompson who I adore and who I've always looked Gosh. up to it's just a couple years yeah the greatest and he was like saying to me he he was and it wasn't positive, but he was saying to me, like, we are so much more fucked up than we realize about a lot of this stuff. And he was describing to me how I was like, yeah, you're right. And so I started to unwind that more about all the like, you know, just my fear of sex, my hatred of my body, uh, my fear of like getting HIV, my fear of, like my friends dying, uh, my acquaintance dying, my boss, my uncle dying, Um and then how I didn't, I realized now, really experience my feelings about all that because it was too much for me. Because I was in college, then moved to Myrtle Beach for a year and a half, don't know why, and then coming to LA and trying to make it as an actor. And there's that amazing quote that Kristen Johnson has in her amazing, highly recommend, autobiography, autobiography guts about her recovery and drug addiction, where she says that ambition is a great painkiller. And my ambition to move to LA and then be in LA and make it as an actor really killed a lot of my pain around. Oh, fuck. (sighs) Losing so many people to AIDS, you know, like literally, you know, Johnny Rockets, my first job meet this, just one of many stories I could tell, but just this amazing young guy named Jeff who we all called Mona for some reason. I don't remember why. And he was just the light of the world. And he literally, and then, he was fine. He was at work. And then two weeks, two weeks later, he was dead. And that was an 88, you know, just like, I can't even remember his last name, but like it's made, still make such an impression along with all the other people that I was really close to that died. Um, you know, it was a battlefield and that really, you feel terrible. I remember like not feeling like I should grieve because I was healthy and I had some, by some miracle, not, uh, stayed. I did stay HIV negative, and I, it was a miracle because I was. I was. Fear kept me from a lot of situations that I might have got myself into, but I did have enough that there was I could easily have been HIV ter- converted, you know, in these uh, especially with the amount of drinking and drugs I was doing.
0: Yeah. And, um, and we got so little information in those yes. early years. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's you just. Also, you don't know what's safe and what's not in 1985.
2: Also, you know? and I, I've talked about this before, but again, I'm 56 and I just own my age. And because if I don't, I deny what I went through, Um, even if people are going to be dicks about it, but I don't care, Um, which no one really is. Who, who cares? Um, How
1: could, They can't be when you look like this. That's the simple truth. <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. People only celebrate it.
2: Yeah, I, I this is no one wants to hear this, but um it's the not drinking and it's the um loving yourself. And I know that sounds corny and trite, but it took me 56 years to get here anyway. But what I was going to say is like, I didn't I don't think enough is said about this. At least this is the, the impact that this has on me, uh, uh, that it had on me. I didn't see any. I might have seen a little bit of straight porn. I didn't see any, I already started having gay sex until I saw gay porn. You only learned or rather I did in small town, West Virginia, or when I was in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina from the other guys you were having sex with. And I knew about anal sex and I knew about blowjobs and some things I took to like a, like a fucking champ, like a pro duck to water. Thank you. And this, you know, the first couple of times I'm like, yep, this is for me. I'm enjoying this. But not the anal stuff. And it's not until and the kids now, and I have been another story is my my slutty pandemic summer. And I just the kids now in their 20s, twi- oh my God, they know how to do and it's crazy because they grew up watching porn. I didn't know what happened. I didn't, I was afraid to pick up the joy of gay sex or read a book or like, and you want to go into these situations sexually one night stands or whatever, like, Oh, I'm this pro and I know what I'm doing, but I didn't. And so I didn't really learn a lot about my body and sex and how to do things until later in life. Oh, and then I was interrupted by my, you know, I was had a pretty bad meth and Coke habit uh, and drinking very high functioning though, for like roughly late nineties to mid thousands. And that interrupted as my therapist will point out, I kind of froze at 33 and didn't, you know, um, really develop in terms of, relationships and boyfriends and that also i realize now was a reaction to um all my pent up uh, grief and stress and mourning about my dead friends because i also lost friends who were gay not to aids but to suicide and drug overdoses and the other things that people die from when they're miserable you know in that atmosphere
0: yeah i mean the the problem is in in those early years, as your identity is coming together, you, there's a big chunk of yourself that you are not sharing with the world, and yes. that, is, that causes stress. And the stress that you are feeling is also a thing you're trying to hide from <laughs> the world. And so yes. you never get a chance to heal. And then, and then you're, you become an adult, and you're just dropped into the middle of a scene. And it's like, well, fucking put a smile on your face and go dancing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a bunch of shit you gotta heal from and acknowledge, and you kind of process.
2: Yeah, or yeah, Yeah. right. Even starting with acknowledgement, because I had this situation. My my best friend and roommate, who turned out was more bipolar than we knew. It's a long story, but he committed suicide in our garage in '98. And I was his brother was living with us at the time in Las Vegas, a house you've probably passed a million times, and I (laughs) I have to drive past all the time too. But like he. that was one of the worst for me and I remember afterwards being like you know and I had an amazing and ama- I still do have an amazing group of friends talk about all the cool girls like you know and all the cool gay guys and all of this the wonderful and my siblings and my family to a degree my my siblings definitely but I had a support system but I wanted everyone to know that I was okay and I wasn't going to commit suicide I wanted that I wasn't going to like do it too and I was going to handle this well and I I was going to do it without xanax um because i also had been abusing prescription pills a lot and um and then did after but then i realized now like um i was in complete denial and i wasn't processing my grief and it just continued to i got this when i started getting acid reflux i was vomiting every night in the middle of the night and didn't really know why and because of my i also have this weird it's what it's why i'm still alive and it's what got me out of west virginia is this eternal optimism and joy that I can access if I need to, and if, if I don't have too much booze and drugs in me? And so I've always been like, it's going to be better tomorrow. I'll stop vomiting tomorrow, and then eventually I got diagnosed and got put on prescription drugs, a prescription drug that is available over the counter now for acid reflux, but which I also was in the commercial for. That's another wacky twist in my life. The before thing that before <laughs>
1: you were, a, a I was client. on
2: the, I was on it prescription wise. And then it, it, it was Protonix that it's Prevacid. And I was in the first Prevacid commercial as weirdly not the sufferer, but the best friend of the sufferer who's making fun of him for suffering and not being able to hang out all night at the comedy club. <laughs>
0: <Wow>. <laughs> which is
2: funny. It's just funny now because I was, I didn't even put it together at the time that I was, you know, being the asshole who would have, no one made fun of me for it. Like, it, but it also dudes, y'all dudes, it kept me from also getting laid a lot when I could have, in like late 80s, and late 90s, early thousands, because I knew I was north at 2 a.m. I was going to be puking my guts up and I oh. knew I couldn't put a guy through that. I keep forgetting oh that shit I keep forgetting about.
1: This is why I look better now, because I was my body was fucked up then, you know? Yeah. God. And it, and, and but nobody was giving you a hard time about having to go home <laughs> early from the comedy club.
2: Though, well, I was, I was staying up all night anyway, partying, like would go in and throw up and then, you know, or I was just alone at home, you know, going home by two and throwing up at three or whatever. Uh, God damn it. I lost, I lost a couple of teeth. I mean, they're, they're back now. Thank you, SAG insurance. But I, one of them, this is. Am I writing a book? Yes, of course I am. I remember like Good. literally biting into an orange on the set of Will and Grace the first time I did it. And one of my teeth coming out in an orange. And oh Megan, and I remember even then being like, and looking over at Megan Mullally, it was a rehearsal day, not a tape day. And just being like, oh, this, I'm going to remember this, just like orange tooth, Megan Mullally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and was it a tooth that we would see, right? I mean, how close to the front are we talking? Oh, right, Sorry, it,
2: it, it literally it, no, it literally is that one. Okay. Um, yeah. But then I, you know, I got I got it. I got a thingy on it later, and now it's now I have an implant because That's I'm gorgeous on network television. Um, yes. Not really. Uh, occasionally. Um, but thank God for insurance.
0: Well, can we can we talk about the TV movies of the 1970s? Yes. That brought you through. <laughs> they really I mean, you did. have a podcast I, devoted to them. Yeah. And not realizing
2: at the time, other than the fact that um, and again, I apologize to Dave because he got a real stinker. One that I thought would help I would have held up. One. Yeah. I thought it would have held up well, but it did not because I was so into it in 1972 when I was in second grade with my wonderful second grade taste. And of course, that would have been pretty scary pretty scary to a second grader in 72, I guess. It would scare no one now. But many of those, unlike the Night Stalker, which Dave and and I did together, are featured female leads. And speaking currently, who we lost yesterday, Cloris Leachman was in many of them, you know? And I adored her. I mean, just worshipped her. And so many of them, like I said, like, Trilogy of Terror with Karen Black or like Donna Mills and Patty Duke and Curse the Black Widow or, you know, um, Elizabeth Montgomery and the legend of Lizzie Borden. And just, uh, you know, how oh, there's so many and none are po- like Sandy Dennis in Something Evil, which is one of Steven Spielberg's first movies. Really? Um, yeah. It's um, kind of a d- possessed child. Johnny Whitaker, Family Affairs, The Son. Uh, i uh-huh. Uh huh. Sandy Dennis is the um, is the mother, and it's the old like. I, who is the father? It's either Dennis Weaver or Derek McGavin, and I am a ter- I'm, uh, i feel terrible. I don't remember, but he they get an old farmhouse because Sandy has to have it. And it ends up being possessed by a demon that jumps into Johnny Whitaker. Not no, Mr. Sure. Spielberg's best work. We will look at Jewel, which is one of the few amazing, which is one of the best TV movies ever, with starring Dennis Weaver. Um, and also Steven Spielberg's first um, official big TV movie that was a huge hit back in the day. But I yeah. realized the, the
1: famous car chase scene. Yes. Like, the truck
2: yeah, the faceless driver of a truck. And it's a real truck chasing him across um, based on a Richard Matheson short story across the Southwest. And they shot it in 12 days. There's a lot because of Spielberg, there are many like Blu-rays and DVD commentaries and it's, it's such a man thing. And I'm not interested in man, man, man things. I got enough of that shit growing up, but it's one of the few man things. And I'm like, fuck because Dennis Weaver is actually a vulnerable man. Dis Weaver, like, looking back, didn't think about him then. McCloud, et cetera. He's really good. Um, but those movies, because I wanted to watch women on screen. I wanted to watch women in peril. Sure. Barbara Stanwyck's in a lot of these movies. You know, the old stars. Scream Pretty Peggy with Betty Davis. The screaming Scream woman.
0: Pretty Peggy? Honey? Scream, pe- scream Pretty, comma, Peggy, or Scream, comma, Pretty Peggy?
2: Important. And this is why punctuation is important. Scream, comma, Pretty Peggy. I gotcha. Betty okay. Davis, Ted Bissell from That Girl. I'm not going to ruin it for anyone, but it's definitely worth a campy watch. Betty Davis, oh my God. It's, it's one of her, one of her best worst things that people don't talk about enough. Because I like seeing the old golden age broads. Of course, I'm the gay who grew up like, you know, just wanting to watch the old classic lady movie stars um do their thing as they middle aged in front of me on TV, and I loved it. Satan's the one I do hate, which I actually talk about a lot. Is Shelley Winners? I'm always permanently mad at Shelley Winners. Why? Uh, I'll direct your attention to the Devil's Daughter, and to um, uh, not uh, the initiation of Sarah. Another great one, which which is like a Carrie thing, but in college. And Kay Lenz is the sister with the kinetic powers. Of course, she's adopted, and then Heather. Morgan Brittany I'm sorry, Morgan Brittany is the good sister the good sister or the, the non telekinetic sister and Morgan Fairchild sure. is the super <gasps> Both queen, Morgans both Morgans a Morgan Fiesta is the evil queen bee bitch of um of the fr- sorority and and then um and then Shelley Winters is one of the house mothers um, Shelley Winters makes me furious and you wanted some backup. You read Lee, another one of my favorite Lee Grant from the spell TV movie, Lee Grant from everything. Good. Always amazing. She is not afraid to go off in her recent autobiography that I read last year about how terrible Shelley was on set and what a selfish actor and how, and she does this thing. You see at her do it, see her do it in these movies where she grabs the other actor's face. And it's the most, and as actors know, it's actually the most controlling, like, domineering scene stealing like while you're talking i'm just gonna grab your face and she does it to the younger actors i'm sure some people like lee grant was like don't fucking touch me shelly also yeah. Shelley's just like i would get mad because she's one of those method people and this all this like training at least all this shit in the doctor studio and then you look at her work and i'm like you have no regard for anyone else you're not listening to anyone else you're screaming and bellowing and and just making noises It's just, it's so mean of me. I can't believe I'm bashing
0: Shelley Winters, but. (laughs) Well, listen, it's too late now. Were you. um, Can you cut that out? No, absolutely not. The dog barking? (laughs) Yes, we'll cut it out. This? No. Um, I personally lived for the one night a year that they would air the Towering Inferno. Or uh, the Poseidon Adventure. Or I I suppose Earthquake.
2: I was very, I was, disaster movies ruled me. I absolutely loved them. I would go home. I would draw pictures. I was very, I was fortunate that the first like adult movie I saw in the theater was The Poseidon Adventure, which would have been 72, which would have been second grade.
0: Wow. And then The
2: Towering Inferno. One of the tragedies of my life is we were on vacation. One theater in the whole county, in my little county, it's gone now. One, you know, one screen back in the seventies. Yeah. I feel like Smoking the Bandit and its sequels were mostly playing most of the time. It didn't matter the year, but I miss seeing Earthquake when it came out in 74 because we were at the beach or something on the three days it was in the theater. Not that we would have had since around in our little theater, but I didn't see it till later. But like, yeah, Towering Inferno, um, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, the sequel, um, The Swarm, which is truly a piece of absolute crap. It's delicious. Um yeah, disaster movies were huge for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they were like safe slasher movies, kind of.
2: Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: It's just plus one it, death scene after another.
2: And plus I it was glamorous women besmirched their makeup and smirch and their dresses torn and Pamela Sue Martin, Jackie Beat and I talk about this a lot. Like one of our bonding first moments is like, you know, Pamela Sue Martin whipping off her long red velvet dress to reveal this pair of red velvet, like, you know, shorts underneath it to climb up the Christmas tree. Um, just oh, amazing. We would fantastic. play Poseidon Adventure. There was this big sycamore tree that fell over in our front yard, and we would play Poseidon Adventure
0: on it all the time. It's the best fun. game to play. And yes. when you're a kid, you feel you feel those deaths very acutely. Yeah. I mean, you're like, I, I remember the, like, you know, every time f- poor Fred Astaire... Oh my God! Does he fall out of the elevator? No, it's Jennifer well, it's Jones. It's so harsh. Oh, Jennifer it, Jones falls out of the. That's right. And he's but the two for of them have just met and oh, yes, right. and they're
2: falling in love. And she takes care of the deaf children. And oh, yeah. And there's always kids and there's Eric Shane beside an adventure. And there's a the little brother and his deaf sister and in towering in front of Jennifer Jones is taking care of. And right. she just it, it's. Shocking when she falls uh, backwards out of the glass elevator, and uh, Faye Dunaway or whoever's reaching for her, trying to save her. It is that was truly shocking. At the end, Fred of stairs, at the <gasps> on the sidewalk, Dave looking around for her, and hers, her name is like Patrice or Maeve or something like that. And he can't find her, and it's devastating. Yeah.
0: But then they give him the, they give him the dog, right? Doesn't she have a yes. little dog? And then ah, <sighs> give him the little dog.
2: Yes, Dave. Yeah, I could cry
0: and, right now. <laughs>
2: And P.S. Faye Dunaway, some of her best work, because it's some of them, it, it, it was the good disaster movie with Paul Newman and Steve McQueen. And you would have huge names in other, not, look, don't even get me started on the air, the airplane, airport movies, which, you know, those were just awful, but delicious and campy. But Towering Inferno is a really good movie. And Faye Dunaway looks amazing. It's right before Network or a year or two before. And she is stunning. Same year, I think, as Chinatown, right? Like, I think. This is, this is my nerdiness. Target Inferno 74, Chinatown 75, Network 76. But gotcha. in that period, and she looks amazing and she's that controlled, fate done away, sex and glamour and desire. But she hasn't gone over the edge yet What she went later with Mommy and Supergirl and mm-hmm. they're on out. She's still right. right in that fucking perfect pocket.
0: Mm, and the, the airport movies. <laughs> <laughs>
2: ladies and gentlemen if you have not seen speaking of dame karen black who we sadly have lost if you have not seen airport 75 it is we i made drogi safi uh and the rest of our gang down at uh the uh, we do a yearly didn't not this year obviously but like do get a house palm springs new year's eve and i made them all watch airport 1975 and it changed i know it it stained changed and ruined and Drogi and Sophie's life and put it in a different directions. Plus, Gloria Swanson playing herself. Um, you know Helen Reddy is the nun playing the guitar to Linda Blair who is gonna get the heart or kidney uh, something transplant. It's Karen Black it's yeah. the one where the plane gets hit. Uh, Karen the stewardess is flying the plane. Um, I, I got to spend a day with Karen Black in 1999 and it was, as you can imagine one of the best days of my life. <laughs> but Air airport 75 is so good Tell
0: bad less everything.
2: Okay, so my friend, it was remember magazines. Remember when there were like seven different, or there was gay magazines, or there's like a new one trying to start every year. And my one friend was an editor for one of them called Genre. And then my other friend, he got my friend to do. The I remember first Genre, sh- right? Genre, it was good. Um, and uh, but then we, my other one of my best friends was a photographer, and I said, can I please just go and um, be your assistant for the day? And she lived in this. House off uh, in Encino, off of Ventura, and it was very not Sunset Boulevard, but very Ventura Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And she was still—I mean, no, she worked until she passed away. You know, she was a worker, so what? She wasn't—I'm not saying she was Norma Desmond in that way, but it was very dark inside, and it was very kind of like—I don't think the garters. It was—I, I shouldn't say too much, but I will say this: I will tell this story in public. Nothing bad happened. She was a delightful, kind of luminous, childlike, sweet, kind, lovely, uh, magical creature. But she did say to me, I had a t-shirt with Bruce Lee on it, and she said, Sam, do you think that Bruce Lee was killed by the mob or the mafia? And I said, "Oh, I don't know, Karen." She's like, "Well, here's what Elvis told me. Elvis told me one time on the plane to Nashville when we were shooting Nashville, he said that he told me this whole story about how Bruce Lee was actually killed by the, by I don't remember what country or if it was the Italian. But mom, this whole story about what Elvis told her about how Bruce Lee died. And you mean all know Elvis? Some of those of us who do know that Elvis was really into karate and kung fu. Mm. She's like, "Do you think that's true?" And I said, "Karen, I will concede to Elvis on this point." I said, I yeah. think that Elvis Presley probably knows a lot more about the death of Bruce Lee than me. And I see <laughs> but her just like kind of equating like what I might think with what her, you know, her friend, what was his name? Elvis said to her yeah, too. Casual conversation I had so with was, this guy. Yeah. So it was one of those days, you know,
1: wild. Well, Fantastic. You know, much like Karen Black, you are. A worker and have been for so long that it's. Yeah. I, you're. I mean, to quote Drew Drogie, quoting <laughs> Tanya Roberts, go to IMDb and pack a lunch because <laughs> really? the list is long. But I'm as. I'm interested, yeah. especially in the early days. You know when you're when you're new to LA and um and you start working and playing a lot of like what we might consider now like stereotypical gay sidekick roles, which I I have always had a different view. i w I've always just been such a fan of those characters for better or worse. Oh, good. But what was your mindset when you were first starting out? And I, you surely had like competing voices telling you like, you know, you, you, once you go, once you go gay, you can't go back and you're going to paint yourself into a corner. and, Mm -hmm. So how did you sort of decide who you were? I remember,
2: because um, I've thought about this a lot, and I, especially as I'm kind of embarking on starting to write this book, and I did I did a one-man sh- I do my one-man show about it. I do one about my childhood, one about the the work life, which I probably should, gonna, should put up again. Absolutely. I do remember specifically the time of working at Johnny Rockets and, one, mm-hmm. and being out to my friends, but one of the managers, who was this perfectly nice straight guy, coming up to me and saying to me, you know, and again, I have to, to our point earlier, being gay back then, also a lot of straight people like, oh, then you have AIDS. You're very sick. You are dangerous. Everyone needs to know that all the young people and who don't understand this, that like being gay, coming out as gay, then very much meant like uh, you have AIDS. This was, there was a lot of the horrible homophobic thinking because some famous people like Rock Hudson or whoever didn't come that people didn't know they were, they came out as gay, as what am I trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say? It's like, yes. they're a, his they're, secret equaled death. That secret. Exactly. So I remember this guy saying, Hey, are you into girls or guys? We're all kind of wondering. And I was like, girls. And it was so dumb. And it, it was, and I'd been in LA like a year or two and it was really fine. It was one of the reasons I moved to LA is to get as far away from my hometown and my family as possible. Um, so they wouldn't know about my life. Um, and I remember like how it felt in my guts to have to lie to this perfectly nice guy who probably didn't give a shit. And I was like, Oh my God. I can't fucking live a lie. I also can't go keep going. In, I could for commercials and I did lots of commercials in the nineties. And my first job was a commercial playing touch football for with Casper Van Deen. He was his first commercial too. <laughs> it's another wow. story. Wow. Yeah. Y'all I wish I had copies of these things. So I would do that, but like only really short things like, Hey mom, this stuff is greater. Like my girlfriend, Melissa says I got to put this stupid shirt on. You know, I could pull that shit off for 30 seconds, but for the longer things, um, again, this is like late 80s, early 90s in commercial land. It was a very specific, you know, Levi's guy, you know, look. You, you, you know what those guys look yeah. like. Almost always like white square jaw, uh, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of one of the names of the guys, but, you know, what I'm talking about. Hmm. I'm off track. Okay, gay. I knew that. I was gonna be myself and I did move all this way to live a lie and I had too many friends and I was working at Johnny Rockets and then I was also worked at this casting facility which is how I met a casting guy and then I worked through this my one boss two bosses one of whom died of AIDS in 93 but then I worked for them the surviving one through 98 so I worked in casting and I knew I would see all these actors all the time and I saw the guys who were the handsome leading man type who were in the closet and miserable mostly and then I was lucky because I was this little kind of like gay Tom Hanks, literally casting directors would say like, you're like a gay Tom Hanks. But that was bad then. You couldn't book anything. I couldn't book anything as like a gay Tom Hanks. But I just kind of, especially through commercials, I just kind of made this life for myself. And I knew that I couldn't pretend to be, plus my friends wouldn't have let me pretend to be straight. You know, I was not... Dating girls, and I was very out in my personal life. And once I booked a job, I remember this. I went through a period where I probably too much would kind of let everyone know right away, like, yeah, well, I'm gay. So I don't know, like, I didn't want to just to prevent, which didn't prevent it necessarily, hearing a homophobic crew crew member or someone else on set making a gay slur and just like throwing me off in the middle of my work in the day, which continued to happen. As, as, as early as 2016, I did a sitcom, which the, the rough and tough producer, director, co-showrunner guy, was an offer. I went in, I did the role. The role was a waspy, gay, 50-ish, snooty, bitchy gossip editor, you know? So I, they offered it to me. Thank, thank God. And then I did my first line. He was like, um, yeah, uh, next, uh, d- not so gay. Not so gay And I, I would to punch him in the fucking face So I would come in and like Kind of make sure people knew I was gay And I just didn't The cool people didn't give a shit Especially in commercials And there's some of the early roles I played Like in Cagney and Lacey The reunion Anybody? Anybody? Hmm. 95? I played a would play these gay men who would be like, I'm a homosexual, Mrs. Lacey. You must understand that my life, I'm in terror all the time. Like how they were, God bless them, they, they were trying, but how they were writing gay characters then. And then Will and Grace came along and changed everything. You know, it, it changed a lot. It didn't change everything. Yeah. But then they were like, oh, and I talk about this in my show, it used to, it went from being like, don't be all the euphemisms, to joyous, to high energy, to flamboyant, to this or that. And then to... um to like now that you, they wanted for these, you know these these mincing fairies. These they wanted they'll either be like you go for a gay role. It's it's the will. It's not the jack. And like you know, and I would go in for stuff and be like guest stars or co-stars. And they would want the flight attendant to be like, ladies, fasten your seatbelts. Oh my god, these salads are del- divine. You know, fabulous or someone a character who says fabulous five times a script. Five times mm-hmm. in a the script. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'm going to do it like me. I remember saying to this producer who's still a big guy going in for a guest art, already in a pilot with him. And I said, Larry, listen, I'm not going to, I know what they want here with this literal flight attendant. I'm not going to do this hands above shoulders as I would call the rolls. I said, I'm gay. I'm going to be me. I'm just going to say like, ladies, fasten your seatbelts. And and they're like, Oh, wait, can you do this or that? And I was like, Mm-mm. booked by a straight guy, a straight friend who I remember came out of the room. These moments stick with you. And because before I said, you know, I'm not going to do the za-za-za when I go in. And then I came out, and he said, did you do the za-za-za? And I said, didn't do the za They weren't happy about it. And he was like, I'm going to I'm gonna do the za-za-za. Straight guy, married kids, because say his name, I'm not going to. Um, and he booked the role. So wow. that was the thing that pissed me off then. I mean, now it still happens. But, you know, I got this audition in, I was still in Vancouver, so it was in the fall. And they first said to me, He's not, the character had to not be overtly, there was still, I'm just saying that still in auditions sometimes, he's not overtly gay, which Mm -hmm. I I wanted to be like, you motherfuckers, do you know, that's not how we talk about this anymore. What does that even mean? Suck seven dicks a day instead of three? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what do you even, it was just so ignorant and so 90s again. And then in the same thing, I went to producers and this is all through Zoom auditions and they were like the character is Jewish, which I could play a Jewish person. I have before. I'm not Jewish. If you want a Jewish person, I understand it right. so you. But then they, but the thing was the characters, like he doesn't, the lead doesn't know he's Jewish and it's a part of the thing. So he's not like, you know, again, obviously Jewish, which is problematic already in the script. Right. And they called, the casting person said, is Sam Jewish or not? It doesn't matter. We just want to make sure because Latin on the line. And I was like, I'm not, and I got so fucking mad. And I told my my agent's assistant, like, after all this, you have to tell them that they need to handle this differently. And the words overtly gay is offensive to me. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah. We know what they mean, but, you know, don't be a prancing faggot. But it's just like yeah. so fucking infuriating
1: still. It feels it feels like it's a symptom of this this pendulum swing that happened that I think was in that was maybe well intentioned that was a response to yeah. the flight the flight attendant stereotype the za-za-za that you're talking about where yeah. it was like these characters that are like it's so cool because they're like they're not that gay but they like dudes and and yes! just the the excitement with which audiences embrace that yeah. sometimes yeah. has always like got my haunches up because like, sure. like, why are you, why are you so excited and so, to, to see somebody that, you know, is finally it's, not such a Yeah. Cause it's all
2: femme shaming. Th- it's, it's all, don't be this, this f- feminine man, which is all
1: misogyny
2: and woman hating and female hating. Like it's, it's, it comes down to that. It's like, you know, men shouldn't qu- quote unquote, men should not like women, which like I have heard since I was born, you know, right. whatever that means while growing up around these strong, intense, butch for lack of a better word, straight question mark women in my hometown in West Virginia, who were like very, you know, not, not remotely effeminate. Like it's just, even then there was a span, people didn't comment on it or, or chose not to see it. It's just so weird to me. And it just now, as I move into my emeritus state, I'm, I have to stop, start speaking up more because I don't give a fuck if I book some of these jobs and I only want to work for people who get it, you know? Yeah.
1: I, sorry to interrupt you. I d- no. just have been dying to ask you about um, this viral moment that you had, I don't know, a year or two years ago on John yeah. Lovett's show Yeah. <laughs> that I won't make you repeat your rant. People should see it if they haven't. It's, it's, it's out there online, but you did the love it or leave it live show. And, um, and it, it you, you did a rant about sort of not being appreciated by your younger gay brethren. And, the the sort of refrain was like respect me, bitch, and it was yeah. uh, it went viral for a reason because it was just so thrilling to to hear, and it, it seems so liberating for you to say yeah. it. And I, I guess I just want to hear like what headspace you were in and sort of what inspired that.
2: Well, it was interesting because the event happened almost a year before the rant happened, where this guy who isn't that young, who you both know, who said to me at a, in this one of these weird kind of a party but kind of a team, like a weird hollywood function that we were at he was look he, he's someone who's who's who, who's i knew then and then after this all came out and lots of comedy mostly gay comedy writer guy said is it this person or who was it tell me and i said it's this person they were like he's a bully he's a sociopath he did this this and this to me not a great rep still very what i, I don't get it. he's someone i don't get it anyway mm. he said to me he he was always just I don't know what his motives were other than he's just kind of a bully and maybe he liked, I don't know, maybe he liked me and just wanted to get my attention. Maybe he was like, you know, the old dip in the pigtails and the ink, but like I'd been around him at three or four events and I was like, I really, this guy gives me a bad vibe. And so he said, Oh my God, your text is, he was looking over my shoulder. I was texting. He was like, your text is so big. Why? And I'm like, well, I'm old. I'm, I'm like, and he's like, how old are you? And I told him my age, which at the time was 54. And he's like, oh my God, you're so old. I would never want to be your age. I'll never be that age. And I said to him, cause I knew he was a dick and I was already just like, you know, not reacting to his bullshit. I said, well, you know, I say to, I'll say to you what I say to everyone who says something like that. One day you'll either be my age or you or you'll be dead, which is how, which is, the truth everyone guess how guess how life works and he said i would rather be dead than your age and again this guy was like 33 and he was just being a fucking dick but then it was like i kept thinking about it and it really left a bad taste in my mouth and if it had been like some offhand comment from someone who's kind and loving and who i knew didn't you know care and i'm not trying to at all ascribe that all millennials are like that or people younger than millennials because they're absolutely not but then a friend because i'm not the brightest you know shiniest knife in the on the christmas tree he was like uh i was like this sucks like some of my friends didn't live that long and friends that i lost in their 20s and 30s and, and and a friend at the time was like does this gay man not realize like how many people would have liked to have lived to 54 and then it really hit me and i was just like so by the time they asked me to do that pick a rant there's a rant wheel one of them was literally the mass singer because I was my, my (laughs) fuck buddy at the time was making me watch it with him. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, And then this gay ageism thing. And I, and they picked that one and I didn't really have a lot planned. I wasn't talking about me specifically because um, I I, I am HIV negative. I mean, I'm talking about everyone, all gay men and everyone, whatever they are that had to live through and lose people in the AIDS crisis, the, the worst of it. And up till now, because I had a friend that died of AIDS uh, two, two years ago, which is another story. Um, but I was like, these young people who don't get that, what we went through, who don't acknowledge or understand the fucking constant pain and and death and mourning and grief and older people saying, this is your, this isn't this is an, either another Vietnam, if they were older, or saying to us young people, this is your Vietnam. And it was, and it was horrible. And you couldn't find, you know, it, it, most straight people didn't care. Reagan didn't care. Your my parents didn't care. Most parents didn't. Almost straight people are so much cooler now. That's the thing that people don't. That, that's why I bristle when I come across one who's not. It's like straight people didn't give a fuck for the most part. Even the best, most wonderful straight friend didn't want to know about that shit and didn't care. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of that. There was then. a
0: punchline. At best. Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and and again, Brian Williams, and I reposted this too, like saying this is the, the, you know, this is the worst pandemic ever in America or the most, many people died. No, AIDS was, bitch. Look at the numbers. Jesus, still straight white man. I mean, bless you, Brian Williams, but like fucking check, check it out, dude. And so I was just like, in a panic. And I, I regret that. I said, first of all, I didn't know it was being filmed necessarily until after they're like, the producers are like, that was really good. We might put that up by itself, a clip of that. And I was like, okay, you know, I've done how many podcasts have we all done? 18 million. And so I didn't know they were going to pull that out. And I regret the fact because I was, I was at the improv stage. I didn't realize what that crowd was like. I'd never listened to love or leave it. Sorry. Until I was going to do it. And then I prepped, but like, I didn't know how passionate and how supportive and how into if that crowd would be. And they were amazing. And I've played the improv before. And they're, they're down below you like that. And people, you can see their faces and it's just, it was super intense. And I got whipped into a frenzy and the respect me bitch thing is like, I'm not asking you to respect me, Sam. I mean, please do as a human being. And it wasn't about me and everything I did back in the day, though I did do things. I lost a lot of people. It's respect this entire call, especially ones older than me who lost Everyone, and they're like, "Oh, my, my old boss, who lost his lover in '93." He would show me pictures, and he's still with us, thank God. He would show me pictures of like, he, a, him, a friend group in the '80s of ten guys. He was like, "There are three of us left," and that's the thing. And I hinted on that in my in my. Rant was like you, you boys. Now you look around and like half your friends would be gone. You wouldn't be alive right now. It was like that, and thank God it's over. I would never want anyone to have to go through that, but at least remember and do be a little fucking bitch about it. And I was also kind of a making example of this guy because it was a terrible thing to say. You know, <laughs> it was just It was rant worthy. And yeah. how dare you? And also, people think I'm younger than I am because I do look okay, so they don't get the shit that I've been through. You know.
1: Right. Did, did uh, it ever but, get back to him, by the way?
0: Yeah.
1: It's funny,
2: donks, because I was thinking about that this morning, because here's what happened. And I will tell you now, A fr- And you know, all the people, <laughs> you know, you yeah. both know every single person in the story, but I will not name them. Sure. Lady friend calls me and she's like, the day of. And she was like, or the next day it came out or like within right. that week. And she was like, oh, my God. I ran into culprit and best friend of culprit. Best friend I love. One of the reasons I was around culprit is because I really like best friend. Mm. Um, and both these two are, friend, are are pals with lady friend. Even though I have said to lady friend, this one culprit, even before all this, is awful. Um, and also I want to say culprit I had been so nice to. I had been so lovely. I, I did a, I, I've did gone out of my way for him a couple times. He doesn't even know that um defended him before until all this so this is just like someone who i didn't like and i was like i want to get her it's not that mm. lady friend ran into them at a thing a stupid hollywood thing the next day they were still a buzz about this thing like who's sam pancake talking about who's the, the rant sam pancake best friend of culprit says to culprit i think it's culprit and um Culprit said, oh, I can't imagine I was that mean. Best friend was there. Best friend was right there when it happened. So best friend knew. Um, and lady friend called me and said, like, this is so weird. So he does know. He has no idea. He doesn't think it's him. And I said, thank you for telling me this. Also, don't hang out with him anymore. Um, So he, he is very aware of it. And also people, again, he is a writer. He was on a show with other people who I knew, who I told the story to. And... I've been around him since it happened and I completely ignored him. And I don't do that. Usually I'll make a crack or make a remark or like here's so-and-so said they'd rather be dead than my age. How are you feeling? You're crazy. You don't look great. Also, this person is someone who's obviously no, I'm kidding. I, it's not, he's not, he's not a happy person. Hurt people, yeah. hurt people. Okay. He has his own demons and his own problems and his own darkness. And please get a therapist. Um, but I have ignored him. And then afterwards, so he knows, he knows. And 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 then I was like, oh, wow. Because this is all a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. I was like, he knows who and where I am and he can reach me if he wants to say something. And then after that too, all these people started, other gay writer guys and other, lots of people, but mostly these gay writer guys were like, hey, is this so-and-so?
0: Because they had had these terrible experiences with him. Like really awful shit. Anyway, there's and, that. And leaving aside how, um, Insensitive and hurtful, it could have been to you. I'm I'm fascinated by someone who has the idea in their head. I I can't imagine being alive at age 54, and it's it is so awful that I would rather die. I better say that. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like well, I also, better put I, that better come out of my mouth because that's that's a, that is a, a feeling worth expressing. That is that is sickness. That is sickness. Yeah,
2: that is, and it also shows that he's not a happy person. You know, and I, maybe the, the darks, the flip side, not the flip side, but an aspect of that is like how unhappy he is with his life. Uh, like right. I don't want to. So, I would never want to live forever, but I want to live a nice long life. And I've had moments when I'm like, especially at the end of my really bad dark drinking days, I was trying to drink myself to death. So I've looked, I've stared down, trying to kill myself later in adulthood too. Thank God I didn't because everything, guess what? I just need to stop drinking. <laughs> turns out. Um, so I'm sure this is a multi-layered person. Maybe he's come a long way since then. I don't know. And we've all been at parties because another, like one of our brethren who you both know on Twitter said to me, like, he was like, who is it? And I was like this one. And this person is someone who also the, the culprit is a very physically large, intimidating person. That's another thing that felt weird, felt off about it it it, it just it it just like there's something about someone taller than you saying mean things is that bad of me to say that or someone who's like you're kind of tiny or I don't know there was just like something more menacing about it and yeah um especially it's it's over my shoulder um it just the whole thing had a creepy vibe but um oh now I've lost my track train, train of thought um anyway I
1: don't know Well, by the way, I just will jump in in that case because I've been like jotting things down because I'm like, I have to ask him about this. (laughs) I literally just wrote down the word slutty because you mentioned slutty pandemic summer. And I was like, I'm going to make a note of that circle back to the slutty pandemic. Uh I'm looking at my – I I need to plug my computer
2: in because I need – it will just take me a second. Can I do that? Oh, please. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Because I was. I'm –
1: Okay. We're going mean, to that's what we get for, for going so long. But when yeah. there's this much, uh, you know, a wealth of information, you got to just manage a bit.
0: Dish. Of, and I'm also writing down all of the people who we're going to need identified once we stop recording.
1: I have a feeling we just need to go through the list of past homophilia guests and we'll, fi- we'll okay. find okay. all of the players okay. in there. Okay, we'll see.
0: We'll see. Um, he's in the right ears. He's back. He's back. Shh. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Slutty summer. I okay, just God, have tell a us everything. Oh God,
2: how do I couch this in a way that won't make me look like a, like a, um, a pandemic scoff law? Um I have oh God, or an obnoxious narcissist. Yeah, let's late. not
1: get you on gaze over COVID.
2: Not that at all. Oh my God, no. I am doing all the things. Don't worry, everyone. But I even before COVID, I I feel if I say this, I'll jinx it and I'll look like an asshole. I don't care. Maybe it'll give hope to other people. In my 20s, I hated my body. I hated me. I was in this, you know, out, but like in a very like, not when college and when I lived in Myrtle Beach, I was still in the closet to most people. Very, you know, stressful life that we all talked about. I didn't enjoy sex and fooling around in one night stands and like the sluttiness that some people enjoy in their twenties or so this is say sewing so, in ones a wild oats I didn't do that to the degree that maybe I realized now I could have and um had a was really messed up about and shamed about sex and all this stuff, along with having this very Christian Presbyterian family. And my, you know, and my grandfather, when I did play a gay man, and I loved my grandfather wrote me a long letter about how wrong homosexuality was. And I should never play gay people. And I was like, Oh, granddaddy, have I got news for you. Um, <laughs> but I, in my fifties am enjoying a nice little like, um, sexy times things have gotten better. Uh, I don't know what happened. Actually, I do know what happened. It's all the therapy, uh, and just not giving a fuck anymore, and enjoying my life, and and so like I've, I've I and it's Instagram and people talking to people, and I've met people, and you know you have fun, sexy conversations, or you're just friends, and then I kind of two years ago started just. <laughs> this is, I don't know if I should say any of this. I got a. I finally got a a, a reliable fuck buddy. Works for both of us. Great. We, without getting into any yeah. details we will never be boyfriends it works for both of us we had known each other for years he suddenly finally was like i really want to sleep with you and i was like you you could have 10 years ago he's like i tried but you were so drunk you don't remember it's <laughs> like uh. specific outside the french marketplace la i'm sorry local jokes get local work but outside that french marketplace across from foo bar one night he was like we were making out and and I really wanted to take you home. And you said, we're going to the after party. You want to come with? And I said, I have my bicycle. And you said goodbye. I'm sure it was <laughs> f- jammed to the gills with cocaine as well. And again, that's not, you can't, I didn't want to fuck on cocaine anyway. So he was like, Hey, and I was like, okay, so we've been in this nice groove, which we can, cause he's someone who doesn't, his germophobia um, predated the COVID. And so he's very on lockdown and very tight to begin with and has a life that can do. So I'm like, that was good. I, I, uh, <laughs> met another guy through Instagram who came out this summer. We had this affair that it, it, he wanted to be long distance. I was like, I can't do long distance. I'm sorry. And I was going to Vancouver. I'm like, I, I know this about myself. I do not want to be in pandemic in this like monogamous long distance relationship. No, thank you. Yeah. And then I, I had another situation with someone who was all, I just want everyone to know, Oh God, I'm going to get shit for this. These situations were the testing, the quarantining, all the things, the masking, everything was tight. I, I got tested all summer long when I was in Vancouver where I was a very good boy. It didn't, wasn't like, I get tested twice a week. I, I'm good. I still get tested. I have a job coming up Thursday. I get tested again two times this week. Uh, so do these people, but I've just, and here's the thing, y'all, before you judge me, and not, not you two, but America, the world. I so I survived one pandemic, And it fucked me up about sex and everything. And and I'm not taking up every opportunity. And I sound like such a fucking obnoxious playboy. But I'm like, maybe I am. Maybe that's my part of my life right now. I never was before. I'm going to enjoy it. I managed to have these situations, which slutty for me looks like virgin to someone else. I'm saying slutty for Sam Pancake, which is three different people on a rotating basis. Not Mm -hmm. rotating us. It's again, everything was safe and spaced out. And so... I am like doing everything right. And oh God, how do I put this? Um, you can cut this air out.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, it's the best part. <laughs> you guys. In anticipation.
2: Uh, no, it's just that I was like, I'm not going to let this pandemic fuck me up about my sexuality, too. I have enough shame and i'm unwinding all this shit and i and again like a lot of some of the stuff just takes a lot of stuff takes place through instagram messaging i'm not even on the apps like the grinder stuff i did one one lunch distance safe grinder date in uh vancouver and i was there and it was like just no i was like whoa no i'm not this these are not for me they never have been but um i mean one of my i did nicole Byers podcast like you know the why don't you date me like a year and a half, a couple of years ago, and it's just the inbox got flooded, started talking to some people, met one guy in January, January a year ago was like a banner month. Um mm-hmm. I went to New York to do search party. I was in Vancouver doing little things. We were doing golden girls in between. It was fun and great. And like I got to do search with Drew, which is in you know golden with my friends and Drew and 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 then I, this guy who I started talking to in the fall, like he came to visit LA in January, like, oh my God, I was going to go to March and to Chicago and March to see him. And, and then literally a week before was 13th, 14th of March. And I'm like, I can't go to Chicago. So it was, and I'm like, fuck, but I, um, I mean, we still talk. It's just been, you know, I, I would, I don't know if I necessarily want a boyfriend. I, I, I am enjoying this part of my life where I'm like, I'm living my twenties and my fifties. And I, you know what? If you don't like that, um, I'd rather well, it's be not dead. Like, <laughs> yes. it, yeah. it, 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 no, mean, that's it's the like, ideal
0: situation.
2: Yeah,
1: absolutely. Stop. And and by the way, if you don't, in twenty years when you yeah. maybe start look look like you're in your early forties, but <laughs> you'll you will look back at the way you look now and be like, why wasn't I fucking someone every night? of You McConks, so, that's so glad you're doing it. That's so the truth. And
2: this whole daddy thing, grow a beard, and the boys will sit on it. It's just like it's just crazy and. I, yeah. Cause I look, I was like going through some old albums recently. I was like, I thought I was this monster. I'm like adorable. We all will have that feeling looking back. It's like the Catherine O'Hara. You know, yeah. Moira Rose in Schitt's Creek. Where she was like, take thousands of pictures of yourself <laughs> naked, you know, <laughs> enjoy it. It's true. Yeah. And now I'm like, it's, gestures to torso pecs and belly it's not great y'all but some of these that's another thing about these young guys in their 20s they came up and like genderqueer and lgbt and there's no femme shaming and not all of them but the ones that i they're i talk to are so fucking cool and they're like into so many different things and they're not they like it and it's like i did not have that experience the, the 90s were very like international male chiseled jaw you know oh yeah I don't remember white 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 um
0: i yeah, got to straighten out that s got to work on how you say that letter s
2: that yes and just like those guys you know those the, that that mm-hmm. version of the of the gay clone in the 90s Ugh, you know and it's like i didn't fit into that tried to um Anyway, God, I'm hopefully this won't bite me because you guys have a lot of listeners. I've talked about things like this on smaller podcasts, but
0: no, this is this is great stuff. And and by the way, the world will continue to be a path at your door to your door. Um, But none of them are in your 20s. Only only two of them are actually coming in my door. Is the Uh, dream situation?
2: Yeah, yeah. And now, and, and also makes me happy that like you know, God, it's. I thought of this the other day. The guy who I was insanely two different people who I've been insanely head over heels, unrequited. He's the one for me, unrequited love with. one twenty years ago, one five years ago. Right now I'm like, oh my God. They are just, how do I be kind? I don't, I'm so glad they're not my boyfriends. You I'm dodged so, a so, so bullet. Glad. Uh, yes, I dodged a few bullets and I finally am learning that. And here's the other thing I want to tell everyone right now who's out there, who's wondering how, how I got here. I know it's expensive. Insurance is an issue. If you get a good therapist and really go dig down deep and do the fucking hard work, which takes years of pulling out all your childhood trauma and wounds you will slowly start to put together things and the more you genuinely love yourself. And I'm still in a, a work in progress. It really does. And this is my therapist telling me this. He's like, these things are in the flow for you because of the work you've done. Of course he's the one doing the work and he's getting paid. So maybe he's, he's, you know, gotta, but he's no, it seems to flow. be working. Exactly. Because I have this friend who I tried to, I had to let go of uh, uh, over the thing. Did, did anyone want to have this where like, there were some people where I'm like, I had kind of let get in my lives too much and, even though I realized now that's kind of part of their manipulation who I'm like was so relieved not to have to be around once we were in lockdown. And I was just like, I'm walking away from this person, someone else. Cause I'm in a 12 step program about not drinking. And it's someone I knew for that. So I was like, Oh, this is good. And then I realized the people I know who are still trying to, they think that working steadily as an actor or getting famous is going to heal their childhood wounds. It will not. And 12-step programs, as great as they are, they're amazing, especially for early sobriety. They are peer support. They're not treatment. And I was lucky to get treatment. And I'm people can be like, well, you're privileged and you had insurance. I'm like, um, yeah, but I would do. But I'm like, and I've said this to people. I've said it to many people. You know, astrology isn't therapy. Crystals aren't therapy. It's all great. It's all fun. Therapy and treatment are therapy. Or, or, therapy and treatment are treatment. Yeah. Um, and really focus on trying. There's a lot. I write me out to wyla.org um Sy- silver lake psychology all one word.com like these are things i can tell you now that and uh, therapist offices are flooded because of the pandemic but there are resources out there for you that i've listed my university
1: Instagram. uh has amazing fr- that that was where i went to therapy oh, I okay was so yeah. broke and had no insurance and that you they, they have a like pay what you can program
0: with their interns it saved my life yes thank you and, 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 and I, no matter I, where you are you're going to be doing it over zoom anyway. So exactly.
2: Especially now. Take a swing. And so I, and it's one friend who I've like for literally, I was like, for years, I've been telling, please, please, please. I wouldn't say this to everyone, but you, because of your, how you put yourself in my life and how I've let you in my life and how I have front receipts to all your lady drama is like, you need to get a therapist and it's not, I wouldn't say that to everyone. It's not my business what this person does. I'm like, I have to, I have to let this thing go. I'm like, you are wrapped up in the drama of, the star at the 12-step meeting who's all about the 10, 12-step meetings a week and da-da-da-da-da and all this other stuff. And this is me being very judgy, I know, but I just, it was like anything we do, it's me being like, I don't want that energy. I don't want that. I don't want to be around that. And I want because it like, you know, the thing about sobriety is like maintaining your sobriety and your serenity to the best of your degree. I'm like, oh, this person super fucks with my serenity, even though they're being like, I'm the most sober, best person in the world. Who's your sober friend? Like, oh, it can still come. The calls can come from inside the house, you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm not bang. Again, I'm not bashing 12 step programs at all. I've been sober for over eight and a half years now. It saved my fucking life. I still do it. I still do all the things. I'm just saying that, like, balance. And ther- just start working on putting some of the energy and time into tracking down a good therapist. American Or be a therapist. American
0: needs more therapists. No kidding at this day and age. I feel for a therapist. I really do. Me too. The first 10 minutes of all of my sessions are like, tell me what's going on with you. Because <laughs> I, I just feel like they're just overloaded. With the same shit over and over, I'd go crazy.
2: Yeah, yeah, but, I, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: Sam, there is so much more to get into. Please come back. In the meantime, we're gonna <laughs> uh, we're gonna find out who all of the people who we uh, mentioned in this podcast yeah. were. Yes. That is information we will take to the grave. But we and need I'm, to get to it.
2: And I'm going to end my thing by saying, like this, though I. I wasn't on until now on this wonderful podcast that all my heroes have been on the ones that are the ones that are living. Um, Mm -hmm. I am glad I did it now because I think I'm a much I have I'm in a more grounded, better place to speak about these things than I would have been three years ago or four years ago. I mean, we we could have talked to behind the scenes on Friends or King of Queens or, you know, search Mm -hmm. party or whatever you want to do. But like, yeah, I'm glad that we got to really get into it felt good
1: me too and you know yeah. i i this say what to people do. all the time and yeah. rarely mean it please come back but i do actually mean <laughs> it in this in this case but if you've heard me say it before i was probably lying mm-hmm. we must have <laughs> you back because um you are uh such a treasure in, oh, in thanks, our boys. community and in the world and uh i'm so so glad that we finally got to do this
2: well i'm big fans of both of yours and i think you're both fantastic and i'm so glad that you are my younger brother <laughs> son's drag daughters who, who
1: look older but yes oh, point it's not true that is not true. Is true thank you sam, and, you sam oh and uh, uh golden girls live is coming up. oh yeah shit when does this drop when does this
2: drop this drops
0: tomorrow. tomorrow oh, oh
2: great then, then i have so much so much to tell you on Saturday, we're doing another Justin Sayer play called Exit Midnight, which is a Zoom play. You can go to my Instagram or DynastyTypewriter.com and get tickets to the link where we've done these throughout um, pandemic. It's me, King Drew Drogi, um, Justin Sayer, Randy Harrison, Ryan Garcia, Angela, Daniel Gaither, Angela Cristantello. I'm sorry if I'm forgetting anyone. A great group of people, kind of a repertory company. And it's a it's a mashup film noir of like Mildred Pierce, Double Indemnity, and The Postman Always Rings Twice. and But it's f- filthy. Is it, This is more filthy. I, do I end up in a glory hole yet again? It's the second Justin p- project where my character ends up in a glory hole. Yes. Um, you, have then, you have a So that's Saturday. Yes. that mm, uh, That's Saturday. And then Sunday we're doing at 6 p.m. Pacific, Nineties Stern. Yeah. Um, Golden Girls Live, in which me, Drew Drogi, Jackie Beat, and Sherry Vine will be introducing and welcoming uh on the zooming thing you get a ticket to how things work Uh and it's us us, us showing pardon me tapes that we took of our golden girls live show where we just act out the shows but we're men in drag um that we did in 2015 because we can't do new ones and then showing that for which is like an hour and then we're doing a queue and a a talkie talk afterwards. And that's pay what you can, but then you can tip us too, which would be really nice because especially the live performers rely on live live money. So please come and support that. And then my podcast, Sam Pancake Presents the Monday Afternoon Movie, um, comes back with a new mini season called the Stepford Sequels in which I will cover um, the sequels to the Stepford Wives, the TV ones, which is Revenge of the Stepford Wives of Sharon Glass and Julie Kavner in which Julie Kavner and Don Johnson are a couple. Hello. The oh, Stepford Children, that's 18, 1980, the Stepford Children from 1987 with Barbara Eden as the the new girl in town and her family where the children become Stepford Teens, which is a early role for John Cameron Mitchell as one of the Teens wow wowie it is a crazy crazy campy one i covered that with tim murdoch i did revenge with the amazing Naomi ek and then this week greta titleman and i are recording uh, the Stefford husbands which is the it's lifetime 96 donna mills cindy williams and michael Aunt Keen and louise fletcher and it is sadly the slowest most boring and most lifetimey of them all that has a a weird creepy charm all its own so that's my next season on my podcast <laughs>
0: Oh, I love it. So
1: oh, much you know, uh, content for people to consume.
0: <laughs> on, the, on the Golden Girls, on the Golden Girls tip, I would uh, I would urge you to watch one of Anthony Fauci's uh, news conferences. Now that he's in the Biden administration and, and the weight is off him. His Estelle Getty is right at the surface. <laughs> oh, <So> true <It's gasps> bananas. Wow. How Sophia Petrillo he is. It's crazy oh my pants.
2: god! Well, he's probably like an eighty-year-old Italian man. That yeah. makes yeah. sense. Italian American, yeah. obviously. Crazy. Yeah. I hope he is. I'm sorry, to, I don't want to offend anyone. I think that he's Italian American. Falchi is Italian. No, he is. Um, yeah. Oh wow! With the glasses and all of it, and the height, it's crazy. Uh, god bless it, him. Just his
0: whole affect is full, of Petrillo. <laughs> it's great.
2: Oh, god, I'll never not see him. That now, I'll never not see him as yep. Sophia. Now, it's
0: all wow. you're gonna see. It's all you're gonna see. <laughs> Sam Pancake. Dave Holmes. We, no, love, we love you. Thank you. you we safe. love you. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave,
1: Dave, 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 Dave thank you for being here with me, giving thank me you, a reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for reviewing us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts with 5 stars only, only. of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T, Mm -hmm. Uh, our our producer. Thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to
0: everybody at Earwolf. Uh Thank Um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, Tell a friend, leave a review. We love you.